Hello, we are back on the Communique on Lunk Radio. This is February 7th, 2009. This is our 11th show. I'm your host. My name is Jackson Meredith, and I am joined today by... Richard Hargesheimer. Jill Frankie. Osama Al-Badri. Great panel today, I think, to talk about our subject, which is the death penalty. Now, everyone at this table thinks that we should abolish the death penalty. Who wants to start with why? When we talk about social justice and uh, peace-related issues, uh, the death penalty has uh, become something that is really something that needs to be done away with at this point so that we can move on to addressing bigger uh, and other issues. But I feel like the death penalty is in the way of allowing us uh, to do that because it gives society the idea that we can just get rid of people that cause problems instead of actually getting rid of the problems uh, that we really face. So I feel like, uh, as a society, psychologically, uh, the death penalty is a block for us. It it allows us to excuse um, a lot of things that we should be dealing with because we can just get rid of bad people if we need to. I think Jill is, is exactly right. And simply to elaborate just a bit, when we execute an individual, we're saying that those crimes that were committed by that individual are all of that individual's fault. It's very much like saying that um, we believe that our success or failure, our individual success or failure, whatever we do, is our own individual fault or credit. That the community around us, our teachers, pastors, parents, friends, have nothing to do with whatever we're about. Uh, And that is a, a very handy and a very pervasive myth in the United States, and it, and it actually goes really deep. We've talked about this on previous occasions, Dick. You've sort of summed it up as the idea of personal responsibility, which is what is stressed from the top down in this culture, versus you know what would you describe as social responsibility, which is what you're talking about here. Right, or a communal responsibility. The most prominent, I mean, there's an example right in our face yesterday, Roy Ellis. Um, sentenced to death in Omaha for a brutal murder. Well, it turns out, when you look at the record, he's 55 years old. He spent all but five years of his adult life in the criminal justice system, in and out, in and out, in and out. Um, It's clear he's got some very serious problems, and it's clear that the society collectively didn't deal with those problems before he murdered Amber Harris brutally. There's a lot of things wrong with the death penalty, from sort of the, the larger level to a, another level. I mean, you've got, we have executed innocent people without a doubt, both mm-hmm. in the modern era, which we describe as from 1976 onward when the Supreme Court reinstituted capital punishment, mm-hmm. to before uh, 1972, which was just before the Supreme Court outlawed uh, capital punishment in the United States. And, and it's interesting. I mean, it's all so much of it's political. I grew up in the 1960s. The, the public and public opinion polls are: Do you support the death penalty? Seventy-five percent of people said no. It was not a topic of conversation, and most people opposed it. And we weren't into um, cranking up the death machinery. That started in the late 1970s and the 80s um, with this whole notion of let's get tough on criminals, and also the notion, once again, that you and I are individually responsible for our own successes or failure, which is ludicrous. 
Now, I think you should back up a little bit and talk about this just a little bit more. I think a lot of people, I certainly wasn't for a very long time, aware that the United States Supreme Court, I think it was in 1972, basically outlawed all state death penalty systems as being arbitrary, capricious, flawed, discriminatory. They didn't outlaw it based on the Eighth Amendment, cruel and unusual punishment, but they said, you know, this, these whole systems are really, really screwed up. They're all gone. Hmm. You can fix them, bring them back to us. Well, four years later, I think it was 76, 76, right? Hmm. I forget which was the first state, Oklahoma or Texas, but or some other state. And the Supreme Court said, okay, it looks like uh, you've you know, gotten rid of the flaws in terms of its discriminatory and arbitrary behavior. By discriminatory behavior, we mean clearly that um, folks of color get the death penalty much more than people are white. Um, and, and it's actually based on, on the status of the victim. But in addition, in terms of being arbitrary, you get the death penalty on one side of the Mississippi River and you don't on the other. You get the, the death penalty in one county in a particular state and not in the other, depending upon the prosecutor's discretion, how much money the budget they have, and they commit the same sort of crime. Did that stop in 1976? No, it didn't stop in 1976. It didn't stop after 1976. It hasn't stopped yet. It hasn't stopped yet. Um, in so in did... Nebraska, you will see that happen with counties that can't afford to run death penalty trials won't do it. So you could, in inside Nebraska, a state under the same death penalty system, you'll have differences just because of which county you're in. So I don't think that arbitrariness has gone anywhere. I'd like to get Wassam into the conversation here. Well, I was waiting. I mean, I agree totally with, you know, Richard and Joe. Apologize. Um, it's a crime. I mean, the death penalty is a crime, regardless of how you look at it. If the state carries it out, it's a crime, because what gives the state the power? It's a fear tactic. Two, all executions are usually carried out by criminals in power, like I always said, or dictatorships, right? Mm -hmm. So for the United States to proclaim to be the country of democracy, but they go out and take out dictators for crimes they, they show on television them executing, but they come back and do it in their own country. They execute their own people. How can you justify that? And second, criminals who commit a crime, they're still human beings regardless of how you look at it. They are society outcasted them. Why don't we look what drove that person? Why we always want to look at them like, oh, they commit the crime, let's punish them, let's give them the death, you know, execute them. But what brought them to that point? They cry out for help. Nobody like shows like people show signs before they commit a crime. It's out there, but people seem to forget it. We don't want to, you know, say we know these people or we have any attachments to them. And the state, anybody in state that commit a crime or for the death penalty, actually is a political career. In Iraq, I come from a country that you know death executions were, you know, was carried out on hourly basis, not on daily basis. It was all for political power, you know. Uh, to have future in politics and the United States is doing the same thing and as in Nebraska it should be abolished here because it does not you do not commit a crime you know you do not put an end to murder by murdering a person and you cannot go back and tell that person you know you can apologize or you can give back life is precious and you should not take it and that's how I look at it I mean I'm totally against it and I agree with you guys and it's a hate crime and it's 
it's also um, a discrimination, like a discriminative crime, because it's, it's only most of it is African Americans. Then you got Hispanics, then you got Caucasians. For what? So it's it's sad. I, it disgusts me. That's all I gotta say. Well, I want to back up to something that Wassam sort of touched on in his little piece there, and the idea of I mean, who who is really using the death penalty? How many democracies or even alleged democracies in the world use use the death penalty as part of their criminal justice system? About 65, 70% of the countries have outlawed it. We actually uh, stand together with China, Iran, and Saudi Arabia as the top executioner in the country. We actually execute more people than Saudi Arabia does. We're in good company there, aren't we? We're in very good company, right. We certainly wouldn't run in those circles on other issues. I mean, these are people who we constantly see in the media, other countries, that we think their policies needed, need to be changed on well, all these things, well, and then we the, stand with them on the death penalty. Right. Well, one of the first acts that Wanda did after the genocide, the massacres that took place in 53, or 90, 94, was to outlaw capital punishment. Because it is, as Wassam said, the ultimate hate crime. It's based on nothing more than revenge and retribution, which ought not to have a place in state law. And in fact, what you get with revenge, as people really do know, is hate. Hate begets hate, and you have a cycle of violence. And I would like to add to that, agree, but at the same time is... If you think, like, look at the member of the person who, the family members of the person that got executed. First, they live in a society that looks down upon them in the United States because your relative got executed. Second, it would help their self-esteem. It would destroy a family, you know, no matter how strong or how much moral that family is based on. You destroy the family for your personal agendas. And speaking of Saudi Arabia... America despises a lot of things Saudi Arabia does, but they like they execute more than them. Actually, Saudi Arabia is they have um, a show, public beheadings, you know. And I heard in the United States they have people outside the prisons clapping to execute that person. So does that make any sense? Um, they speak of human rights. How can you explain that to me? It's kind of a common theme in, in satire in American entertainment, too, the idea of it's just around the corner that they'll start putting American executions on cable, they'll put them on pay-per-view, and they'll be the highest-rated TV show. And I always laugh at those because, I, truthfully, I can sort of see that. I mean, if executions were broadcast on television in the United States, would they be the top-rated show on TV? Bit of a macabre question to ask, but well, they always have new TV shows. It's about time, you know, to to torture people on television. It's the fictionalized version of Twenty Four is certainly very popular. Yeah, I sadly think that probably people would tune in to to see that. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's also something to be said though about not making the process so secret. If this is something we're so proud to do and something that is such a useful tool in our society, the death penalty, why is it done where no one can see it? I mean, it's an activity of the state that we spend a lot of money on, and it's done behind closed doors really late at night where, where no one can see what's going on. And if we're so proud of it and if it does so well, why, why the secrecy? 
If I can ask you for a bit of speculation, do you want to answer that question? Why is this done so secretly? Why is this done behind closed doors? Because it's a horrible thing to do. I mean, it's to take someone's life is a terrible, terrible thing to do. So they would like us, they would like the public uh, to think that this is a, a great thing that we need to do to, you know, fight crime or, you know, get rid of the worst of the worst. They want to say that publicly, but if they actually showed you what that meant, I think that that would not line up. So they have to hide it because I think grandmas and moms and dads and people do not want to see people being killed by their government. They don't want to directly see that. Is it true also that the alleged cost-saving features of killing someone versus letting them rot in prison, as, as the expression goes, or the, the allegedly humane tactics of something like lethal injection... Is it true also that under greater scrutiny and transparency that those claims would evaporate? Oh, I think absolutely, Jackson. Let's see if we can go by those, let's see, one by one. First of all, um, there's no question and no reputable authority disputes the fact that it's much less expensive to keep somebody in prison for the rest of their life. I am not, of course, in favor of that. I'm not, in fa I'm not somebody who's in favor of life without parole. But be that as it may, and that's a different subject, it's much less expensive to keep them on in the general population for the rest of their lives, say on, a on average 35 years, than to, to execute them. In Nebraska, as an example, it costs approximately $15 million per execution. People go, how can that possibly be? Well, it's not just the cost of the original trial and the appeals. It's that when you go for the death penalty, those cases are automatically much more expensive because you don't want to make a mistake. You really work hard not to make a mistake so you don't execute or convict an innocent person. And in fact, that, by the way, happens with uh, incredible regularity. Um, so the system, what happens in Nebraska, as an example, as an example, um, we, there was a study done by the legislature. It, didn't, it was not a cost study, but what it showed is that we had 89 death penalty trials over a period of 20 years. Hmm. Of those 89 death penalty trials, the public paid for the death penalty trials right. that average now well over a million dollars, in today's terms, well over a million dollars throughout the United States. Versus okay. uh, a, oh, versus a trial where they're only seeking life imprisonment. How much does that trial average out to? Oh, um, $50,000. <sighs> maybe less, maybe a little bit more. Okay. It's substantially more expensive. But in 89 cases, so you had 89 death penalty trials. In 83 of those cases, in 83 of those cases, the prisoner got something other than death. Their sentence was commuted. They died in prison. I mean, on average in Nebraska, it takes almost 20 years from the date a sentence is imposed of death till there is actually an execution. And in fact, we've only executed three people um, since 1959. Three people. So the death penalty system is very, very expensive. You take those 89 trials, and let's just assume that they cost half the national average. Half a million dollars each. Right. That's $45 million dollars. The math is pretty simple. We were very conservative in doing it. We've executed three people. That's $15 million per execution. So it's very, very expensive in a whole lot of ways. It's toxic. It's a cancer that hits, really damages everybody, um, that touches it. Let's see, what were your other questions? Oh, you were talk you're talking no, about the, cost. This, the alleged humanity of methods like lethal injection. 
right? There's no right way to kill to do the wrong thing. There's no right way to to kill somebody. And I agree completely with what I think Wasam and Jill were saying about the state. So we've got a government program that's bloated, flawed, wasteful, very, very expensive. If I were a conservative person, I would not like such a government program. And you don't get many results for it. You've got 89 death penalty cases from 1973 to the year 1999 in Nebraska, and you kill three people. The program doesn't work. So on those practical sort of grounds, not talking about moral grounds, but then the morality of the state doing the killing is incredible. The state should not be allowed to kill. I would like to say that when you say, like Richard said, three execution, $45 million, that is money for this. That's like business. You know, the execution is a big, like, industrial business. You know, they're making money out of it. They're just torturing people. I mean, like, how can the government allow such a thing? Or how can the people stand back and allow the state to execute people? And if they know where their money is going to, like $15 million, you can build so much schools or so, you know, invest into the community. But they put people in prison on that case. I believe nobody should be executed. Second, you cannot put a person in 50 years in prison for a crime that he committed when he was 20 years old and when he's 30. You know, it could have been a, an outrage crime or it could have been a mental crime. Mm-hmm. Within time, people, all human beings, like, reach another point in their life, then it would change, you know. They, they would, we all try to search to become a better person. And to put somebody 15 years in prison, that does not, you know, justify your actions. I believe that the state is being a criminal too because they, since they got the power, they can decide what to do with the people. And how can you take care of your own people if you allow, you know, how can you say, I am for the people, I am a true democracy, then imprison and execute your own people and don't want to help them when they're asking for it. Right, if people really want revenge, which should not be, and state law says it really cannot be part of the law, but if they want really want revenge, then life in prison without parole is the worst sentence you can get. That's the end of your freedom forever. It's the end of your choices forever. It's the end of everything. Mm-hmm. You have to learn to accommodate yourself. That is probably harsher, actually a harsher punishment than execution. I kind of want to hammer on, on money just a little bit longer. Now, yeah, again, the, the statistic, $15 million per execution. Well, I can give you one quick example, and everybody accepts this one, too. New Jersey. Reinstituted the death penalty in 1982. In December of 2007, they became the first state in the modern era to abolish the death penalty. They had a commission. They studied it for a couple of years, intensely. They had murder victim families, prosecutors, judges, police officers who looked at the system. And even those people who were pro-death penalty said it's time to get rid of it. Why? There were a number of reasons, but one of them stuck out. They spent $253 million on the death penalty from 1982 to the year 2007 and, exe- and executed exactly no one. <laughs> I mean, Wassam was kind of touching on this, too. Yeah, $15 million per execution. I'm going to drop that statistic again because it's a blockbuster. I mean, Wassam sort of touched on this. I mean, how, how many schools can you build with $15 million? How many anti-poverty programs can you fund with $15 million? 
And if the objective is really prevention of heinous crimes, wouldn't that money be better spent investing in human needs and preventing people from reaching the point that they commit such heinous crimes? Well, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's without, without doubt spending money on the front end, right? Child care, education, preschool, all of that sort of thing gives you dividends on the back end. And, and drug and rehab. Drug, drug rehab, the whole thing. Right. I'm going and law enforcement agrees. <laughs> law they enforcement would, agrees. They would rather see the money spent on exactly what you're saying, jobs programs to eliminate poverty and drug programs because they feel like uh, drugs and poverty cause more crime. Right. Uh, Prevent and the crime. It's time to <laughs> shift the paradigm and change the thinking on a lot of these issues and stop trying to play with band-aids and, and prevent some of these things from happening. Like, uh, yeah. like I was saying earlier, if the state invests the money into the people of their own people, then this would, you know, the crimes would drop. If you look at any country that have execution, the crimes still be committed. People are not, you know, if they're going to say, you're going to execute me anyway. They still commit the crime. But you need to change people by giving them a better way of living a better education, a better healthcare system, you know. Why do people intend to become criminals? Is because the society they live in. When society beats you down and outcasts you, you will turn into other ends. And that's how you become a monster, as so-called, and they want to cheer for you to be executed. Mm -hmm. But then there are actual real monsters who are, you know, cheering for the execution. And politically right now, we hear a lot of talk about this idea of infrastructure. We've ignored our infrastructure, our roads, our bridges, our what have you. And then bridges collapse like happened in Minnesota. And I really think that if we viewed people the same way, so we did some human infrastructure investment, uh, we wouldn't have bridges collapsing. So we should see a murder the same way we see a bridge collapsing. We Something slipped. We did not do something right <coughs> on a societal level. And uh, I think we, you know, need to frame it in that way. We need to deal with human infrastructure rather than letting these bridges collapse and then sending in the rescue boats and, and all that. I think that's right. I mean, there, there, there's so many issues surrounding it. Um, in Nebraska, among those who have joined the abolitionist movement in recent years happen to be police officers, prosecutors, judges, murder victim family members, what we would call unusual suspects, people that you would expect mm. to be pro-death penalty. But, for instance, um, you have with murder victim family members, prosecutors, pro-death penalty people will often say, well, this is what will give them closure. Mm -hmm. The fact of the matter is anybody thinks about it for a second, and murder victim family members, in fact, have. You lose somebody you love, whatever the circumstances, there's never any closure. Fortunately, most of us do not end up in the, the status of a murder victim family member. But if we did, killing somebody else isn't going to bring you any closure. And in fact, the mother of Amber Harris said so yesterday. His death, which I want, and I don't believe will happen, I'll die before he does, or he'll die before he's executed, he's 55 years old, but it will not bring me closure. Murder victim family members straight up front now destroy the closure myth mm -hmm. that pro-death penalty people want to believe in. Then there's a whole question of innocence. You have had 130 people in the modern era, in the modern era. Which is since 1976. Since 1976, exonerated from death row. 
with evidence of their actual innocence overwhelming. Collectively, those folks spent almost 2,000 years behind bars in a cage. Those are innocent lives lost. In addition to that, 215 who have been um, wrongfully convicted and released based on the conclusive DNA evidence. This, by the way, gets very expensive for states. So let's assume a state like Nebraska does not have a compensation law. And let's assume that they're going to be sued, like they are going to be by the Beatrice Six, who spent collectively over 70 years in prison for a murder and a rape they did not commit. In fact, they were given pardons. The state has no way to compensate them. That does not preclude the Beatrice Six from going into court suing the state of Nebraska for millions and millions of dollars, and that's exactly what they're doing. So just because your state has a compensation law or not, does does not preclude you from being able to go to court and get some compensation for it. So it's terribly, terribly expensive, all of it. And on the DNA point as well, while DNA has done a lot to free innocent people from prison, the fact is DNA is not available in something like 80 to 90% of cases, so it's only present 10 to 20% of the time. So you have people in jail who are innocent, that have no way of using DNA to prove that. Also, you know, the governor would like us to believe that DNA means that we're never going to convict or execute an innocent person ever again. And statistically, that's simply impossible. The D- while the DNA is helpful, it's not a catch-all. I believe that Randy Steidel, who was a, here, who was an exoneree, said it's a safety net, but it's a very, very small safety net. And in fact, Nebraska might claim uh, that it's not going to, or hope it's not going to execute an innocent person, but in fact it's already written into law that it might. It's actually anticipated in its statutes that it will execute an innocent person and has provided a penalty for it. So for somebody who causes another to be convicted and executed, penalty is first-degree murder, which is death penalty eligible murder. So it's very interesting. So they're being cautious about murdering an innocent man just to look out after themselves. Right. And they're second, they're already anticipating. It's like I would like to go back when you guys said that Beatrice Six. It's been seventy years. How can you give those people back their life? Even if you give them half of it, how can you give them half? And speaking about closure, like I always hear that death does not murder does not bring closure. Actually, bring men more pain and sorrow to to the victim, and like to the other side like it brings pain and people don't understand that I would like one of the people who are pro death penalty to see one of their family members be executed mm-hmm. would that bring them anything right. that would bring them pain and okay. the other family so they always want to do it for others you know they always want to throw the stones at you but they do not expect you to throw them back at them right the death penalty does create other murder victim family members tears apart families of victims. Mm. You will often find in a murder victim's family member, family, that you'll have some people who are pro-death penalty and some people who are against the death penalty. So not only has this family lost someone that was important to them, they're also losing people who are still alive because they are, there's so much disagreement about the death penalty. I mean, this literally tears families apart and uh, supposedly it's being done in their name. Uh, but we tend to cause more problems for them than, than we could fix. I would like to say that um, that I came from a country that has seen a lot of wars. And 
for a mother or a father or a brother, you know, etc., to know that brother on death row. You know, um, that is the worst feeling to have to count down to your own kid execution or your own parent execution. I mean, that's beyond a hate crime. That is like a hate crime you cannot do nothing about, but you have to accept it. And that is how it's been portrayed here. Thank you. We're, we're about halfway through this Lunk Communique number 11, and we are talking about the death penalty. And we've just spent the first half hour demolishing the justifications for it. It's cruel, it's expensive, it's boneheaded, and the defenses of it are frankly myths. Why the hell do we still have it? Why is it still being used? Who is benefiting from this? Well, it's, I don't know. I mean, it's a good question. They really started cranking it up in the 1980s, and that's when you had the uh, let's get tough on criminals, which has turned out to be very inexpensive and very ineffective. I mean, it hasn't worked. So um, our prison population, for instance, has skyrocketed. We're talking about five or six times magnitude from, from the 1980s in the war on crime, the get tough on crime approach that came in with, um, really came in with Ronald Reagan. And it's been very, very expensive, as I said, and not effective at all. And the death penalty is part of that. And so um, it's, a, it's a political tool um, in many cases. I think it's a fading political tool. I don't think it works anymore. Conservatives... Um, who really ought to be against a bloated, flawed, ineffective, terribly expensive government program. They ought to be against a government program that meets those criteria. Mm -hmm. um, but the politicians like to use that against their opponents. If, for instance, their opponent is against the death penalty, and they're doing you know, 30-second, 15-second commercials and that sort of thing, it's hard to say anything that means anything except nasty stuff, and we've seen plenty of that in American politics. I can remember running a campaign in Montana for a governor, and she was anti-death penalty. And in fact, the radio ad started out, Dorothy Bradley supports the death penalty even in a case where an eight-year-old girl is brutally raped and murdered. Right, you take the worst case example, da-da-da-da-da. Well, it was interesting in Montana, that was in 1992, I'm, I know I'm getting off the track, but some moderate Republicans got that one taken off the air. They found it so disgusting because they knew this candidate as a quite brilliant, humane individual. It's part of a, the power game, the power trip about who's going to be in power. It has nothing to do with human lives or justice. It has nothing to do with justice whatsoever. This is one of the reasons the governor and the attorney general support the death penalty. They think it's a good career move that the, they can continue to see themselves as tough on crime. Problem is, they're behind the times on this one. That might have worked a little bit in the 90s. It doesn't work anymore. Most Nebraskans are ambivalent about the death penalty. And national polls, by ambivalent I mean, they might like to have it on the books, but they really don't want to use it very often. And they haven't. And you take a look at opinion polls. National opinion polls are now showing that almost 50% of the public supports alternatives to the death penalty, such as life in prison without parole with restitution. They really don't much care about it. And in fact, almost everybody I've talked to at the Capitol agrees that if they voted in secret, right, the legislators, mm -hmm. it would be abolished overwhelmingly. Because they know 
They have the facts. They've been debating it now for two and a half years extensively. They know it's a bloated, flawed, ineffective government program, and it ought to just be done away with. And I can tell you there are a lot of prosecutors out there privately agree with that sentiment, and judges, and police officers. But you think it's just a, a fear of being smeared in the re-election ads as being soft on crime. crime. It's something that could be used against them. Now, most of the executions that take place in the United States take place in the South. This is not a leftover. This is an extension of plantation slavery. It's an extension of Jim Crow segregation. It's an extension of hardcore race-ism. But in a place like Nebraska or South Dakota or North Dakota, one of them might not have the death penalty. I mean, Iowa doesn't have the death penalty. And there are fewer murders committed in Iowa than there are in Nebraska. And in fact, if the death penalty were a deterrent, which is one of the arguments the pro-death penalty people like to bring up, but nobody, nobody credits it as a deterrent anymore. And there was even testimony to that effect by pro-death penalty prosecutors last week in the legislature that said, no, it's not a deterrent. Nobody in law enforcement believes it's a deterrent. If you're going to murder somebody, if, you, if you're really out just to murder somebody, instead of doing it in Omaha, get in your car and go to Council Bluffs, right, if the death penalty is a deterrent. We also know that a lot, a lot more people, what they really fear is life in prison without parole. That's harsh. That's really harsh, because then they got to think about it. Then they're in a cage. Mm. I would like to say, like, mostly... People use it for their advantage, like for campaign ads and political career, you know, so they can get to Washington, number one. Two, I think it's to create new jobs. That's how they look at it, like you have a prison guard committing an execution. You know, they like to... And second, oh, third, it's like, I think it, it just, like I always say, it's an industrial thing. They like to make money out of it. You know, $15 million is not a small amount. And between the court costs and the you know the lawyers and all, all that expenses, it's a huge amount. And regardless how you look at it, I always I mean I will always say this throughout the whole talk. It's a hate crime and it's a crime against humanity. It's an it's unusual punishment. Like there is no justifiable action. You cannot justify execution. Well, getting back to action to the top of the program because. What Jill and Wassam said earlier is another reason why I think we have it, um, although it's fading, because we talked about this. It excuses us as a society. It absolves us as a society for any responsibility for that person's actions, for that person's choice to do drugs, for that person's choice to do wrong. It really says what we, we are not going to focus on that. We're not going to focus on poverty. We're not going to focus on racism. We're not going to focus on inequality, because none of those things matter. So long as we have the death penalty, none of those things matter. It's you and you alone who are responsible. Not your neighbors, not your friends, not your teachers, not your elders. You made the choice, right, to do all this thing. It has nothing to do with poverty, racism, all of that inequality. So we don't have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So we can just throw people away. So, yeah, what would you like to say that. about that society? You're an important member of society till you make a mistake or let's say a huge mistake, mm-hmm. then everybody forget about you, and you would become less than garbage, basically, because garbage at least got a place to go, but they're trying to keep you there, you know, till 
they fry you, or right. and that's a cruel way to say it. But. And it really benefits at a, at a certain level those who have stuff. Okay, the death penalty benefits those who have stuff because um, I got stuff, and I can say I got my stuff because I worked hard for it. Nobody helped me with it. All you nerdy wells out there who are in poverty and doing drugs and stuff, just pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Of course, even Warren Buffett doesn't believe that's true. Um, the second or third richest man in the world has said, I had a lot of help, thank you very much. Even Bill Gates does, and he did. Um, so um, we know this is a myth, but it's very, very pervasive in this society. But if I'm on top, I'm on top, and I can just point that person. Blame that person, put that person to death, that's the end of that. We're not even going to talk about that problem anymore. But we're certainly not going to refocus. We're not going to refocus to inequality, poverty, and, and the real structural, institutional problems that we're quite well aware of. And those people are quite well aware of them, too. They just don't want to deal with them. So they would like to represent themselves as the knight in Sherman armor of society, but actually they're the oppressors and the criminals of society. That's what they should actually, they, their titles should be. That's what I'd like to Correct. say about it. So what you're sort of saying here is that the idea of personal responsibility is foisted on us relentlessly from people from the top down because the people who own and control this country grasp on some level that if we <coughs> interpreted things in terms of social responsibility, not only does that sort of absolve people who do wrong things, but maybe it starts to chip away at the sense of entitlement that those with privilege have for their status, for their stuff. It might. It might. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible, isn't it, in this country? <laughs> If you make the rules, right, if you have the gold, you make the rules. I mean, we've seen it huge in the last couple of months. Wall Street giving themselves $18 billion for failing. I mean, in bonuses, right? I mean, that's rather huge. If that's not criminal behavior, I mean, that just that turns the myth upside down. But you know what they're really saying to us? I mean, they're really saying it loud and clear. Kiss my butt. I mean, that's what they're saying to ordinary people. Kiss my butt. We're still going to get the bonuses even though we fail. Mm. I mean, it's incredible. So it is power. It is, it is most certainly is a big, big power game. And in fact, the governor of the state of Nebraska, that's exactly what he's doing. He's not going to legislators now and saying, um, vote your conscience. He's not going to legislators and saying, here are some good reasons why you should support the death penalty. It's a deterrent. Here's the information to show it. Um, da 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 da, because it's not. He's going to them, calling them into his office, and saying, "Here's what I can do for you if you vote with me. Here's some goodies, and here's what I will do to you if you don't vote for me." So we are in a David versus Goliath um, movement because we don't have those sorts of carrots or threats. And we wouldn't want to be part of a movement that makes them anyway. So wouldn't you say that's blackmailing them? I think it's blackmailing them, yes. And going back to, if this is like the small governors act that way, then imagine what the politician in D.C. acting. And imagine what the government, I don't know, you know, it runs down. Look how the U.S. government act with international affairs. Mm -hmm. We get the big guns, we'll do whatever we want, we will shove it you know, up your mouth and you would take it. Mm -hmm. So, of course... And you will like it. 
<laughs> right. They tried to make. <laughs> then they roll it down, you know, and they will roll it down. And this is what we see right now, like the governor blackmailing his own. Even senators from within his own party. Yeah, you see that that's not. Is he actually for the people then, or is he for himself? That's the question. Then who is he for? He's for his political career. So that's why, like, we can all go back and say. That's why he's pro death penalty because it's his for his political career. He's not caring about the people, right? And but he's also being, which is very interesting. Osama, you mentioned this. He's also being relatively quiet about it. Um, one of the reasons he's being quiet in the 1990s, the governors and attorney generals in these states had vampire teeth in their mouth. They wanted blood, and they said so, and they were on TV all the time screaming for the execution of people. They're not doing that anymore. And one of the reasons they're not doing that anymore is because I believe most people in Nebraska are ambivalent about the death penalty, and many people are shifting away from a pro-death penalty position now that they've had an opportunity in many ways to think about it and to hear really facts about the death penalty, the fact that it's expensive and the fact that a whole lot of innocent people are being released from death row after many, many years, and... We know we've executed innocent people. We know in the modern era, we've executed in the pre-modern era, we executed two innocent people in Nebraska. We did a guy by the name of Shumway hung him in 1909, and a jurist who was so distraught, a jurist. So why this stuff extends beyond just the person who's getting murdered, um, committed suicide. She committed suicide before she was so distraught over the jury process. But the guy was proven innocent. They found the real killer later, but they executed him. And they executed him, you know. And but those, this, this jurist actually committed suicide actually, before this revelation that's even correct. came down. Right. And that's probably the really... Yeah. In those days, there wasn't 20 years from sentence to execution. There were maybe two or three years. So some pro-death penalty people think, well, we just ought to, you know, as soon as you're convicted, you ought to be electrocuted or lethal... Well, this person would have at least 130-some people on his hands, blood on his hands, Um, in the modern era. To those people, I would like to say the Saudi family is looking for members for their government, you know, (laughs) if they agree with that. Back to the governor, he is being very, very quiet, but I'm not trying to attack him, but Mm -hmm. there is a a famous snake in um, Egypt that lays in the bottom and does not sting, you know, you can kick it, whatever. And I think he, this is to him is a strategic move. So he really knows it's wrong, but he doesn't want to say it's wrong because for his political career. Like we go back to that. Like so, he knows the majority of people, and even at the death penalty, you know, when we were speaking against it, we had so many people showed up, so many, and like the whole senators were no, they knew that. I mean, they cut some of us off from speaking because. They know everybody there was against the death penalty. They're like, we were hearing the same thing. So why don't they stand up and put an end to this? I mean, it's this shouldn't be a subject to talk about. You know, this shouldn't be a topic to bring. Why is Nebraska trying to bring back the death penalty? It's not even right. I mean, most I, of the rest of the world, it's not a topic of conversation anymore. You can't get in, become a part of the European Union, as you know, without first voting um, to abolish the death penalty in your country, as That's Turkey has done. Yeah, that, well, yeah, Turkey struggled for the longest time they to did. join them, and they struggled and struggled, then they knew it was wrong, but they, it was a power thing also. 
I think Nebraska is often credited as being something of a backwater on political matters, but you think we're starting starting to come around on the death penalty here? Well, in fact, we're not a backwater. Well, uh, thank as you. far as the death penalty yeah, goes, go ahead, Jill. We're actually you, you're better with the dates on this. I just know that we are not, in fact, behind the times on the death penalty. No, it's very, front. Yeah, thank you. It's a very interesting question because in 1976, the Supreme Court said to the states, "You may now crank up the machinery of death again." Three years later. In 1979, Nebraska became the first state in the United States to legislatively abolish the death penalty. They moved the bill to the governor's desk. The governor vetoed it. It was Charles Stone then. He vetoed it. In the next election cycle, all of those legislators who voted against the death penalty, who chose to run for re-election, were re-elected. The only person who lost was the governor. (laughs) Which doesn't show you that the death penalty was on anybody's election agenda, or it it shows you that it usually is not. Hmm. It's not something that people use as a barometer to say, I'm going to vote for or against this person. Then, in 1999, the legislature became Nebraska, became the first state in the United States to legislate a moratorium on the death penalty, saying we want to study it before we execute another person, 1999. Went to the governor's desk. Governor Johans, now United States Senator Johans, who even had a communication, he's Catholic, communication from, from the Pope's office suggesting he support this, but he thought that was a papal bull, mm-hmm. so he ignored it. Um, he voted the moratorium bill, okay? The legislature... Vetoed it. Vetoed it, vetoed it, thank you, vetoed it. He then... The legislature then voted, over his veto, 49 to nothing to pay for the study of the death penalty. And they did carry out, it was a two-year study, and it dealt with certain issues of fairness, and it showed this in Nebraska. It showed this. It didn't deal with cost, it didn't deal with morality, it didn't deal with method of executions, a whole lot of stuff it did not deal with. And it was the first major study in the United States to show this. It showed that if you are rich... No, if you are poor, let me put it to you this way. If you are poor and your victim is rich, you are 560% more likely to get the death penalty than if you were rich and your victim was poor. It showed a distinct class bias. It also showed that people of color were much more likely to have their case, first degree murder, go to a death penalty trial than white folks. White folks were much more often to get a plea bargain. It showed that, in fact, the author of the, the study, a professor from Iowa, said that who gets life and who gets death in Nebraska's death penalty system approximates the outcome of a coin toss. So we got back to arbitrary, capricious... And not even bringing up you know, a lot of the smaller rural counties in Nebraska simply don't have the resources. They never try death penalty cases. They're just simply too expensive. Very rarely. Right. Well, we should follow the lead. (laughs) (laughs) We should follow the lead. Now, Jill may be able to add something to that, but it's, no, Nebraska actually sticks out in the Midwest throughout the nation in terms of death penalty abolition movement efforts. um, We're right at the top of everybody's agenda because... Two years ago, we, we came within one vote of advancing an abolition bill to the governor's desk. That was before New Jersey abolished it. Oh, yes, it was. Yeah, it was. 
You covered that very well, and I knew you would. So. <laughs> well, we got about 10 minutes left here. Let's talk about the situation right now this year as far as there are two bills that the unicameral legislature is considering, one being pushed clandestinely by the governor, as you've been talking about, that would replace the electric chair, which is our current method, which has been outlawed, essentially, to replace it with lethal injection, which is a more PC thing in in modern terms. And the second bill, obviously the one that we're much more fond of at this table, which would abolish the death penalty outright. Uh, LB 36 is the bill to implement lethal injection. It was introduced by Flood, the Speaker of the Legislature. And 306 uh, is the abolition bill, which was introduced by Senator Brenda Council, uh, who just replaced Senator Ernie Chambers. Who was our longtime champion against the death penalty in the unicameral, among other many good causes. That's right. Both of the bills had a hearing in the Judiciary Committee um, a week ago Thursday, uh, so like nine days ago from from where we are here. And uh, the both bills are in the Judiciary Committee right now for their consideration. Uh, we certainly do not feel that the lethal injection bill uh, is worthy of uh, coming out of committee beyond just thinking it's a bad idea. It's a very poorly done bill. Uh, in that it keeps the process very secret from the public. Uh, We really can't see what's going on with that. Uh, We had an anesthesiologist from Columbia uh, who was here to testify on the bill about the medical and legal problems that will result if the bill is passed. So uh, we are uh, hoping that the Judiciary Committee makes the right decision in not advancing that bill. And then, uh, of course, with 306, uh, we still have all the same messages we've been talking about here all day. And uh, the bottom line is lethal injection doesn't make the death penalty uh, less arbitrary, less costly, less uh, ineffective. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't do anything to fix the basic flaws that we see in the death penalty. And is it even as humane as it's billed to be? If you ask the anesthesiologist from Columbia, who is certainly more versed on this than I would be, he would say no. Not the way that it's being done in other states. It's my understanding that the drugs that are used in lethal injection executions, veterinarians won't use them on animals. Veterinarians are not allowed to use them on animals in many states. Actually, some of these drugs that they typically use are against the law for use on animals. So, yes, that would be... I would like to say on the LB36, it was the injection method Flood was trying to introduce, and he was trying to keep it secretive. How can he commit execution being secretive? I mean, if you have dictators across the world showing public executions on television and they, everybody knows it's cruel, why is he trying to bring the same cruelty from that cruel dictator's regimes to his own country? Well, this commit- that's what I was trying to like. How can he bring think, that and trying to close it behind doors? I think there's a very important point to raise. And the second thing, or oh, 306, was against, uh, we're against the death penalty. It's a, hu- it's a call on humanity. It's a duty of human beings to abolish the death penalty because we all know as humans we cannot bring back the dead. And mistakes happen. That's part of our nature. And all three major religions, or all hundred major religions, oppose the death penalty. There is no one religion that said kill, you know, like commit crime. The state have the right to commit crime then that's a farce religion if they say the state is allowed to commit crime. That's all I'd like to say about it. Oh, I think that's a very, very important point. On the Nebraska State Capitol, um, in one of the sides it says the salvation of the state is in the watchfulness of the citizen. And yet in this 
in the bill introduced by the speaker on behalf of the governor to implement lethal injection which is the most solemn thing the state does obviously is to kill somebody the most incredible thing the state does everything in the bill is secret as testimony pointed out the department of corrections could in fact come up with a protocol that involves rat poison the problems with the bill are so huge it's very poorly drafted are so huge that Michael Ratlett, who is perhaps the world's expert on the death penalty, most certainly in the United States, testified. He's from Colorado. He's an academic. But he said that Nebraska's lethal injection bill ought to be retitled the 2009 Nebraska Stimulus Package for Lawyers. (laughs) Because what you're going going to get is decades of litigation, decades of wasting taxpayers' dollars, and you're still not going to execute anybody. It is a government program that doesn't work. Passing a bill like that would be like passing another safe haven law where you're I mean you're passing a law that's creating more problems uh, for your government than you can deal with and I I don't think any Nebraskans at this economic point that we're in would like to be economically stimulating lawyers I think they would like some some stimulus for their lives so I agree with that invest that money for new jobs give give people jobs I mean like the unemployment rate is so low and they're worried about trying to allow the you know death penalty then when it's a deficit that's the word so when the economy gonna get worse and they have a retrial for 15 million for a death penalty it makes no sense invest it into your own community that's the whole point take care of your own people educate your children educate you know that the future take care of your elders you know take care of your community. I mean, I can never say enough of that, you know, it's like, why are you investing in murder? Murder is murder, no matter how you look at it. You know, water is water. If you put it in a clear cup, in a bottle, and it's dirty water, it's all water. Murder is murder, regardless what you say, how you how you want to type it up. How, how you want to justify it. How you want to justify it. Use any fancy dagger, you know, <laughs> plated gold, it's still murder, regardless how you look at it. And they need to understand that. We just have just a couple of minutes left. thought I would just ask a little more personal question of my esteemed panel here. I mean, why... There are a lot of issues out here to fight. we got hundreds of dragons to slay. Why, of all issues, have you focused on fighting the death penalty? I truly don't think that we will ever deal with all the other problems until we get rid of this one. Uh, I really think it's like this big block that doesn't allow us to take responsibility for all these other problems. We kind of talked about it earlier. I mean, that's why I do this, because it puts society off the hook for taking care of people. And as long as there's that option, as long as somebody walks down the street and thinks in the back of their mind, I don't need to care about the people that I'm walking next to, because if they do something really bad, we'll just kill them as long as they can think that, then they're never going to take responsibility for anything that happens or any impact that the way they live has on other people. It allows us to dehumanize people. We can't make any other changes until we deal with that. Thank you. I would agree with Jill. Do you have anything to add? Probably not. Probably not. No, I mean, no, it encapsulates, I mean, 
it embodies, I mean, an awful lot of things that um, people who deal with uh, uh, social justice folks, racism, poverty, inequality, discrimination, and then the ultimate thing is it takes your, is taking a life. We have, ex- we have in fact, executed innocent people. We've put innocent people on death row for um, sometimes 20, 25 years before they've been proven innocent. And I mean, like, really innocent, right? It's expensive. It's the money should be used someplace else. I mean, for all the reasons Jill's mentioned. Right. And and then the Wasam said, to, to kill the show that killing's wrong, you know, sort of brings you right to a halt, doesn't it? I totally agree <laughs> with you guys. I personally, I lost two uncles to executions in Iraq. I'm from the southwest. Second, of it, like. It affected me all my life, you know. I mean, it never brought us closure, it never brought the other. I mean, they their crimes were against the government, so you know they did. They, and then the government fell apart, so they want to take out the government. Then I lost two uncles, then they're carrying out the same execution in this country. It makes no sense. And my second thing I would like to add: we need to treat each other as human beings, regardless of sex, age, gender. Well, I said that, you know, and. Um, we're all human beings, regardless, we're all the same, and it's time of we really outreach to each other, like you guys say. I bet you the crime rate would drop down if we take care of one of another. And that's, I would like to say to it, is that's it. And Thank you very much. This has been a great show. Thanks to my wonderful panel. On behalf of Richard and Wassam, and Jill. I'm Jackson, and we'll do this again next week. Goodbye.